Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sunny 16 podcast, back with you for one of our regularly scheduled broadcasts. And again this week we're going to have a fantastic conversation with a wonderful returning guest. Uh, but first off, joining me on co-hosting duties this evening is the lovely Claire. Claire, how are you? I'm well and uh, lovely to be here. Thank you, Graham. Claire, um, before we get into it, I was concerned by the statement that you made before we started that you're thinking about getting rid of your Christmas tree. <laughs> What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I was. I did, well, I thought to myself, um, maybe the next time we do a video show, if it's up, it might be a bit embarrassing. So I was actually thinking I was going to take it down at the weekend. But then, as usual, time goes. And so it's it's still up. So still making the most of the of the lights. Good. Well, I'll ask anybody <laughs> listening, anybody within the sound of my voice, please message Claire at Claire Marie Bailey and, uh, on uh, Instagram and, and Claire and Bailey on Twitter with the uh, hashtag Save the Tree. <laughs> I want that Christmas tree to be there. I think it would be a, an important life study or the death next year. study. <laughs> I want it to be there. Exactly. I want to see its progress throughout the year. And the nice thing is that we'll have these. We'll have to take little clips out of every show you're on, just watching it slowly becoming sadder and sadder. And <laughs> yellower and yellower i think it'd be wonderful you need to keep that anyway um joining us as our super special guest this evening back for the first time since we just checked this it was 2018 the summer of 2018 which feels like a very very long time ago now it is the wonderful nikki cooley nikki welcome back to the podcast hi thanks for having me it's Again? a delight and it's lovely because as, <laughs> as we can see you this time well, it's the last time we could only talk to you um so this time it's a delight to be able to see you although uh, for the benefit of listeners no video podcast this week because well largely because no john and i'm not competent um but also because we you know we just don't want to overwhelm you with all of this stuff um as I said, 2018 was a long time ago, Nikki. So for the benefit of people who may not have been listening at the time um, and or people like myself whose brains have atrophied into a soggy pile of mush in the interim period, tell us a bit about yourself because you have gone from uh, a career path which was taking you in a very stable, solid direction and then you jumped off that train and went completely down the creative path and they're going in just a solid and successful direction in that way. So fill listeners in a bit on where you've been up to the last 10 years or so. Um, well, I think the last year in itself, like we were talking about at the beginning, for everyone has been so much has happened that that in itself feels like a massive transition. Um, but I guess starting with around 2014, I think I left a job at, Actually, I'd had another, another job in Manchester, but a pretty stable career in financial journalism, so business and financial reporting. Um, my first job was at the Financial Times, so I went kind of straight into something mm. quite, you know, solid on paper kind of mm. job. And I think I just didn't have enough creativity in that kind of life. And London is very fast paced. Mm. So there's just relentless deadlines and... Um, I was a lot younger then as well as in my 20s, so I could handle it a lot better. And it was fun for about four years, and then it started grinding a little bit at me. So I kind of gave it all up, came back to Manchester, where I grew up, and I did a master's in art history. And it was kind of there that I started looking at photographers that I'd just never seen before. I had an idea of photography of, like we were saying before, just of like, you know, perfectly shot pictures of mm -hmm. like landscape in a certain kind of way. 
And I looked at the photographs of Eugene Atjeh and the wet plate collodion mm. sort of masters of like the early 1900s and Sally Mann, I'd never heard of her before. And so I just completely exploded into that kind of world of photography where actually things don't have to look perfect and mm. throw dust on a piece of glass with collodion on it and it looks absolutely magical and things like that. Um, then I've just been working in a coffee shop actually for the last few years and I lost my job in March with the pandemic as a lot of people did in hospitality mm. and now I'm actually training to be an art psychotherapist so that's kind of where I am on now and I've just been doing photography ever since in a dark room and making photographs so it's kind of I guess my life is a lot more chaotic now but it's a lot more fun that's awesome uh, um before you left your job in the financial journalism industry industry business um what had had creativity been something that had been important to you throughout your 20s or was it something that you'd never really explored as an aspect of yourself before then yeah i'd done i'd done art and design and i'd always got high marks at school but i think there's such a focus on you know getting a proper job it didn't even occur to me that this would be something that you you do like for money I mean to be honest I mean it's still not really a thing you can do for money now <laughs> <laughs> so that hasn't really changed but I think um yeah I'd always been interested in it I just don't think I'd made it a big enough place in my life for it I think that was the problem mm. so and I'd always been into photography you know bits and pieces the, the first time I went into a dark room actually I was a camp counselor for Camp America so I mm. taught kids on this camp in New York, which was just in the middle of nowhere. It was in like the woods with this lake. And there were these little wooden shacks and one of them was a dart room. Um, and I, I was just in there teaching kids how to print in the dart room. I don't even know if I had experience by that point, but just, it was just amazing. It's just really, there's something about making a photograph with your hands mm. and chemicals in the dark and that process that's always really caught me really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, the last year has, well, we don't need to talk about what the last year has done to people. We all know what the last year has done because it's done it very uniformly to everybody to a lesser or greater extent. Um, up until then, your photographic work, what had you been primarily concentrating on? Um, I actually had this really, and I still have it in on the back burner, but I just don't know when it's going to be possible. I had this really great project that I'm that I've sort of got a little bit of the way through and it was looking at, it was more documentary storytelling. Mm. So more just taking a lot of color photography and sending the negatives off, getting them scanned and, you know, more, more that kind of thing. Looking at the people who are still left in Hawaii and California mm. and other parts of the world making surfboards from wood because there's something really special about those people. And it's not necessarily even about, surfing as such but they're doing something really really interesting and and kind of spiritual actually it's hard to say spiritual without it having these hippie connotations but i mean mm. it's the most grounded way possible mm. uh, so i had people lined up in these different countries to go and photograph and my husband is a journalist he's still a journalist so he mm. was gonna write the stories and we were gonna kind of try and produce a book um we had the flights booked everything was ready to go and then the whole thing just bottomed out didn't yeah. it so, the plans have just been wiped for that. So I'm hoping to pick that up maybe at the end of the summer. Yeah. So that's a very different project to the one I guess we're going to talk about. Here. Yeah. 
Because that's the interesting thing for me is talking, well, as we already have done a little bit before, but talking to you, talking to Dan Bassini, as we did last week, we've got another conversation with Cy Riddell coming up next week, talking to various people who are active in their creativity, who are going out, pursuing things, who are working on projects, and then suddenly those things get stopped because of COVID-19 and you can't do the thing that you were going to do and then perhaps you've been doing or what you had planned to do um, and for a lot of people um, that led to just a general stalling out and like a, a, I don't know what to do with myself I know that certainly that's where I was I mean admittedly that's kind of always where I am I don't think I can really blame the virus for that but um, it's been really interesting to see how creative people like yourself and many others when faced with that and having your the walls kind of closing around you it's pushed you into different directions so when you had this opportunity to go away and travel and visit all these people making these surfboards and stuff in the traditional way what was your first reaction what was your first response when when everybody was going oh come on this is going to be a great opportunity you're going to be at home now think of all the free time you're going to have enjoy being creative were you one of the people that was there going oh this is fabulous i'm going to be so creative or were you one of the people who's went oh no i think i went through a period of denial actually <laughs> at first where i thought still possible gonna give mm. it a couple of months mm. it might still be all right it was never going to be all right so once i got through that um actually i'd got really really sick of my job and i was it was actually just i wasn't enjoying it at all i'd kind of got a bit stressed with it and the pandemic came and it, it was it was a bit of a blessing in disguise really because it's kind of pushed me into this um now i'm training as an art psychotherapist i'm actually gonna have a profession that, that fits my creative life as well mm -hmm. so it's kind of pushed me into that anyway it was really mixed up for me because we actually lost my father-in-law about two months into the pandemic. So we had loads of stuff going on, which is hard anyway, but mm -hmm. to experience these kind of things while you're just kind of sat at home is a real yeah. weird experience because I you kind of feel like you're going a bit nuts, you know, because you can't really get any perspective on stuff. But one of the things that I did was I think I immediately just, it was a really bad decision, but I, I immediately just, um, ordered loads of dark room chemicals but I ordered like the five litre bottles of it because I thought I've got to have like bulk buy mm. <laughs> get it all in there you know before the whole world shuts down but of mm. course when you open the bottle if you don't use that five litres in like two weeks or whatever it just starts to don't say and... that I've just ordered a five litre bottle of no it's not a good plan honestly <laughs> so I went through that whole thing um but in the end, what I did was my parents live in Glossop, so I live in Manchester. When I was dropping off supplies at their house, because they were in the high-risk category, um, I just went into the peaks, because it's on their doorstep on the Snake Pass. And I took some ortho film, which you can develop under red light. And I'd read that actually Sally Mann, we were talking about that, is one of my favourite photographers. She used ortho film, which is experimental anyway, but you can kind of throw it around an exhausted paper developer and it kind of does all these crazy things to it. So you get like watermarks and like lots of imperfections and things like that. It's really unpredictable. So you don't really know what's going to happen. So I went into the peaks and made like 10 images because I only had like one roll and we didn't have very long and kind of messed up those negatives when I got back. Um, yeah. And 
I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Is that the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, okay, let me let me get some specifics because actually your timing is perfect because we were actually chatting um, on a podcast earlier this week to Matt and Michelle from Ilford and the subject of orthofilm came up because obviously they recently, uh, a couple of years ago now I guess, but released the new their new orthofilm. So what orthofilm was it you were shooting? Was it the Ilford stuff? Was it something else? Yes, yeah, so I had Ilford and I also had the Rolly. So the Rolly is, um, the speed is 25, so it's really, really slow. I think the ortho is, is it 100? It's 80. a lot fa- I mean, it's still 80, so yeah. it's still a slow film, but comparatively it's a lot faster. Um, but I actually thought, I, I thought the Ilford, actually the images were a bit more striking on the Ilford, mm. if, I, if I had to say. Were you um, shooting it filtered or were you doing anything with it else in camera? And um, and what were you shooting on? Like, was it 35mm, 120? I'm sorry, I'm asking a lot of these questions entirely for myself because I haven't, <laughs> I've got some author film and I haven't shot with it yet. And I'm really keen to, after hearing from you and um, talking to Matt and Michelle, I really need to be shooting also. Well, it's it's a bit mad because is it red light that it doesn't, um, doesn't affect yeah. it? So it's got really, it comes out, it looks really high contrast. So it, it's kind of, I don't think, I think maybe it's not very forgiving, you know, if if you're looking to get like a sort of more pristine image, that's that's kind of my feeling about it. But I use a Mamiya RB67, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a big camera. But what you can do with that is you can just sort of open it and just leave it open and then close it when you want. So I was just kind of going in there, like, and I guess it was part of the lockdown thing was a chance to just make things a bit more fun you know where Mm -hmm. you just think oh I'm just going to do this and see what happens that that kind of approach to photography which I hadn't done in a really long time I'd just sit it in the woods and think oh it looks it looks pretty bright so I'm just going to open this for about you know a minute and a half and see what happens so some of them were just massively overexposed and just (laughs) a a minute and a half does seem like a long time (laughs) even at 80 ISO that seems like quite a long time (laughs) I mean, it's pretty dark in there as well. That's the other thing, like really, really dark. So the thing about the snake woodland where I went, even on a hot day, you'll go in and it's so deep and the the trees are so tall that it's like cold in there and the air just doesn't move. So it's kind of dark even when it's sunny. You know, so it's quite a fascinating location anyway, especially with the pandemic and all the stuff that was going on. Did you you consider the snake woodland? The snake woodlands on the snake paths. I, I can't recommend it highly enough if you just if you like snakes. <laughs> That's cool. So, uh, so you went out there. You were shooting on the RB67 with this Ilford Ortho film primarily, and the Rolly as well. Um, taking it back to your dark room, and how were you developing it when you got? Because you, well, just talk us through the whole process. So, getting back to the dark room. Bearing in mind, I don't develop my own film because I think you asked me at the beginning, Claire, if I yeah. own film. I keep saying I'm going to, and then I think, no, but this is really important, this one. So I get the fear of doing it myself. Mm. So I've not made the jump to doing it myself yet. I've got all the stuff. I just can't bring myself to do it. You, so. you should, Nikki. It's great. You don't have to worry about throwing dust on it afterwards. It just happens there by magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't trust myself with that. I'm, you know, I'm a bit messy. So, um, yeah, so you can develop it under red light, which mm. is really amazing because you kind of get that experience that you get with the paper in the developer where you can see the image coming up. Um, yeah, so I just slopped it around in exhausted paper developer. That that was the thing. What, so in, in trays? Just, yeah, in trays and jugs and, um, 
you can hold it up to the light and I could see when the image started mm -hmm. coming and then you can just quickly fix it, you know, if you want to stop it. And so actually, do you know, the thing it does is I've always wanted to do wet plate collodion stuff yeah. and it creates yeah. that kind of characteristic without, it's mm. the closest I can get to it without being set up for all the wet plate stuff. Mm. So that's what I was going for really. Um, but the success rate, I would say, is about 2%. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Nikki, it does sound as though there's maybe some tightening up of the uh, wiggle room around it in terms of slopping it around in trays and jugs and stuff. There's probably some bits you could do that might ump up your success rate with that. Well, the thing is, I sort of don't want to because <laughs> there'll be one in it and it'll be absolutely amazing. You know, just the right amount of stuff has happened to it and it's just some of the images come and i'm, I'm sort of all right with it you mm. know i think that's what i was going mm. for so yeah so um where did that lead because uh, you uh, on your website you've got some of this work that you've been doing recently and you've been making some stunning prints from there um you came back from this trip you've got you've had an enjoyable time in there and come up with results I guess you can't have been expecting at all because you've got no way of knowing what you're going to get from there. Uh, it doesn't seem to me, whilst the experience is certainly comparable with shooting wet plate, but the results you've got are kind of crazy. Um, what When you first saw them, were you surprised by what you got and did that immediately spark something for you in terms of, oh, I know what I want to do with this? I think the first ones that I got, I printed them. And obviously I, did, I just didn't know what they were going to look like. And I'd not been in the dark room for a while either. So I was mm. kind of rusty. And, and the first ones I got, I thought, oh, th these are all right, but they're, they're not great. And then I, I got the one um, of a fallen tree and it kind of had these watermarks on, on the side of it. And there was another one where I think part of the negative, because it's in a roll, had kind of blocked part of the image. So it kind of looked like it had just been part of a dream or something. You know, it kind of had these these kind of feelings around it. Um, and then what actually I really, really love doing is when they're like that, I can go in the dark room and there's so much space to print from because they just need so much work that that kind of is the bit that I really enjoy the most. So I think I mess them up to give myself that, that opportunity. I, th I think that's, that's what I go for. Yeah. The thing that I, with, I, mean, I think this is the same whether it's photography or printing, whatever it may be. I think there's a reason that we tend to see a lot of similar images. It's because they're images that we know we've seen and we can work towards. We can, okay, I know what a traditional landscape picture looks like. I've read the books. I've watched the YouTube videos. I know how I should set them. I don't because I'm an incompetent fool, but let's imagine I'm somebody who's not. But yeah, you can. there's an A to B to C to achieve a result that is pleasing at the end. And, and likewise with darkroom printing, you have a standard negative that's been shot and is you know, well framed, well exposed, all of these things. And whilst there's certainly creative flexibility within that, but you generally, you know, or oh, this is what I want to do to get a nice, well-balanced, good contrast negative that looks good, the faces are all of these things. When you've got a negative, which is semi-deliberately messed up already, how do you even know where the end point is that you're aiming for? You said you kind of you've got these difficult negatives that you need to then go in and tweak, but what are you trying to tweak them towards? Because I I can't imagine you're at that point trying to then undo all of the stuff you've done to get it back to being a a perfect negative, because that would be counterproductive. 
what are you trying to work towards it being then and, and how do you figure that out oh i don't i don't even know <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know um i think I think the thing with it is it just kind of reveals itself. Mm. And I think that's part of the excitement of film photography. Anyway, for me, it's always been that. So you can't really see until you like, you've done all your trace stuff and then you run out and it's only when you run out, you can see like what the image is. You know, there's a real, um, I get a real buzz from that. So I guess it's like that, but like times a hundred with this kind of stuff. Mm. Cause it was like, uh, we're talking about sh printing small and then big. Yeah. I originally printed these on really small, much smaller paper. And when I did the first one on a big piece, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, it's just it's just magical. All the stuff that's happened to it is 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 magical, I guess, is is how I put it. But I think I don't think they're ever finished. I wonder if that's part of it as well. You know, I could work on them forever. I could I could carry on <laughs> doing stuff on them forever. Hmm. I think. Is there a, are you finding more of a freedom in this kind of work? Uh, you showed us you shared Claire and I. Um, a sheet one of your worksheets showing everything that your the, the recipe book if you will for one of your prints and it's pretty intense there were a lot of lines there was much that you're doing to each one so each one of these prints that you're making is taking an awful lot of technical care and effort to produce but at the same time because of the subject matter and the way that they are um there isn't a right or wrong. Are you finding that freeing? Are you finding that the, the fact that whatever it is is whatever you want to make it be and that nobody can ever sort of point at it and go, well, you should have done it like that because who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, now you've said that, I'm pretty sure that's definitely part of it, you know. It's just been really, it's just been really fun. I think bef before I started doing this, there is a lot of control and especially if you're doing a documentary style thing you you actually do have to tell a story and they and they do have to be a certain way you can't just mm. you know mess about with opening your camera and hoping for the best you know it just doesn't work like that so it is quite controlled and i guess you know when i was visiting some of the wood shapers i went to visit some guys in nuki who were making these wooden belly boards and these are kind of boards that have come over from hawaii in design so they'd kind of got their own take on on that you know, there's an anxiety about getting the shot. So when I'm there, there's this constant anxiety about framing and is the exposure right? And what if this doesn't work out? I can't come back and do this again. You know, that kind of thing. All mm -hmm. that has just completely disappeared with this. So it's like the other end of that kind of thing. And it's just, it's just really, really fun. And I don't really have to follow any rules. I mean, there are rules because like you say, it's, you know, you, you still have to, know all your printing and print it in a certain way to bring the image out mm. listening there to a lot of what you just said there nikki and i was thinking i could relate to a lot of what you say because for me uh, part of the beauty of film is well for me some of the aspects of working with film are maybe what some people don't like but um sounds like you you, you you're you're like me you really like it which is embracing the kind of at times unpredictability of film and just the sometimes those perfect imperfections that can come in and then you can work with them and I think that when you're in a dark room as well I think that you know this thing about right or wrong um 
I think that we all have our kind of inbuilt barometer of a print, don't we? <laughs> it's a bit like attraction, isn't it? We have our own idea of what a, of what what a beautiful print is, and we kind of work it work it until we kind of have that feeling, maybe that we think, oh, actually, it's starting to starting to come somewhere that I'm I'm happy with. And I don't know if you we were speaking a bit before, weren't we? Before we recorded about do you ever get that feeling coming you know when it once you and sometimes you have an idea when you start I'm going to work on on this frame um and it becomes it's as you go don't you it becomes its own kind of thing and and you can take it off in into different into different places with I don't know and the textures and the layers or of different things that you can add to your to your print through different techniques I suppose yeah I think I think it is about the layers thing that you just said yeah the, because you can keep, I guess you can put a lot of yourself into it, can't you? I think I think that's the thing. Um, I've just started. I've never used toner before. I've just entered mm. that world, and that is like that's just. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing at all. And I started using selenium for the first time. Yeah. I, I put it in the tray, and I was like, but, but nothing's happening. What you know? What's going on? So I, I left it and left it, and then the whole thing just went brown, and I was like, "Yikes! This is just—I need to step back." I, you know, I just don't know what's going on here. So um, I've been collecting information from other people about how to do that kind of thing. Um, but again, that's kind of like—that's like adding layers on afterwards, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm looking into that kind of like the sepia look. You know, where you have that really sort of yellowish hue. Yes, I think it's yeah. quite difficult to get. So I'm going to have to work on that. Yeah. I think. And bleaching your prints as well. I bet you do you ever bleach any of your prints, Nikki? Yeah, I think I think you're supposed to do that. I think it's selenium mm. first. To this is what I've learned so far: selenium first for about two minutes to protect the shadows, mm. and then bleaching for about seven seconds, and then you can start messing about with sepia. You know, mm. to however you want it to look. That's my understanding of it. But I've actually done that. This is just what someone's told me, so that's not <laughs> even my information. <laughs> it's it, yeah but, but dark dark rooms are just great though aren't they great um places for experimentation but i know nikki um before we began like graham said you shared as uh, you shared with us your your sheet and you'd quite diligently written down um burn the you know the the the, the, the timings and stuff which which i did as well in the dark room because i find that sometimes i was doing things and then you'd forget you know what i mean um so Graham's laughing. I'm and just I laughing because I'm, dark... I just don't. I'm so bad, yeah. but this won't no, surprise it's so anybody. Import, it's so important, and <sighs> I try to do that um, even with if I'm it with because um, I do a lot of instant photography, um, Nikki, and, and and sometimes if I'm shooting that on manual, I've I've created pictures, and sometimes I'm thinking myself if I try to recreate that, I wouldn't know what to do because I just got so lost working 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 so I, I think writing every setting down and all the times is 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 is, is a good good idea unless you've I mean, got a, a photographic memory excuse the pun and you can like remember every everything you, you've done I mean I, I guess um because I do it for every print you know so every oh. time I have a go at it I'll have my list of and then I'll look at it and know what to change and do yeah. the next list. Yeah. So it goes on and on. So I'll have yeah. pages and pages of like burn one, burn, you know, and it just goes on yeah. and on. Yeah. But I actually, um, because I lost my job, I've never sold any of my work before. So I'm hoping to do like a, 
you know, like a limited edition run kind yeah. of thing with one of these prints. So I went back to reprint something, the, the one of the fallen tree actually, that I haven't printed for a number of months. Mm. And I thought I had it there and I've reprinted it and it looks nothing like it. Mm. So I feel like I'm gonna have to go back now. So I just don't know what's happened there. So <laughs> there's some holes in my technique, which I thought were very, very uh, meticulous. So I'm, you know, it's constantly changing. Mm. To keep going back like i guess that's part of the process isn't it yeah yeah it's i mean that's a, it's as with all photography it's difficult because there are so many variables at play all the time and mm. um if you are a precision oriented orientated person um that can be f frustrating i mean i i'm not as anybody who's ever listened to this will know i'm not at all a precision oriented person but um even i occasionally get caught out and go okay i need to this is not working i was i was mm. in the dark room the other evening and i was um trying out some cheap paper some cheap old paper i bought on ebay um to just practice on and i did a was doing some test strips and stuff like that and it's like this print is not going even remotely close to black. Even if I turn on the light, leave the light on for a couple of seconds and then stick it, it's not going black. It's like, okay, my developer, like this paper with this developer, which has been sat around for perhaps maybe a couple of days, let's say, <laughs> um, is just not having it. And some papers I'll use will put up with that kind of mistreatment, but not this one. And um, But it's, it's all of those factors, isn't it? It's, it's what how long has the developer been sitting around for? How old is the paper on the day you do it? What's the swimming mood like for people three feet down the road? I don't know. There seems to be so many things. It's, but I think that's the beauty of it as well, though. I think um, the idea of any two prints being exactly the same just doesn't even seem like necessarily a completely desirable goal let alone an attainable one because if you want things to be identical there's easier ways of doing it um close yes but maybe not identical but i mean given that this is a, something that if you want to do and you want to make an ex exhibition of uh, not exhibition, sorry limited run prints and i presume given the fact that you've enjoyed doing this and you want to do more of it um have you given thought to going forward with this? Because it is also experimental, experimental, experimental in the way that you shot it. That was very unpredictably done and the way that you developed it. How do you go forward in a way which perhaps in, in, can increase the number of usable images that you get from a roll of film? Because, it, I mean, I know that you said, oh, yeah, getting two good images is great because they can be fantastic, but your time is valuable and you you need to produce stuff. And it, do you think you can sort of take this approach forwards more in this way or are there things that you're thinking about to, I don't know, develop the technique? Well, I tried to develop the technique. I started getting paintbrushes out. I started mm. um, doing different strengths of developers with, with the negatives. So once I'd had like a good experience and I've got these... Uh, negatives and some of the images that I've sent you that you've seen I thought oh you know I'll try and you know build on this and I just absolutely just went too far with them and they were all an absolute disgrace and none of them worked at all you know because I just tried to con I tried to control it too much again so there's no way of um, consciously doing it if that makes any sense so I, I think I just 
don't go there with it. I don't really do things to put pressure on any of the work because for me, I don't really want to make a living out of it necessarily. I think I like to keep it in that place where it's fun and it's something that I'm doing because I really enjoy it. And if I do a limited edition run, then I kind of want it to be on my terms and I've chosen yeah. to do it. But I, I don't really want someone necessarily telling me or having something to does that make any sense mm. I, I just mm. um, I gave up quite a lot to do it and I think once you start going down that route you have to be careful that it doesn't get too commercially oriented I guess yeah something away. Um, but I mean an exhibition that would be different because there's, there's other people that I've seen in lockdown because I, I know quite a lot of other photographers now you know and I've had like exhibition ideas in my head and I, you know, that side of things just switches me on a lot more than um, doing a print run would be to get a little bit of extra cash. Mm. But it's not really what floats my boat, really, I don't think. Um, so, for example, with that book idea that I was talking about surfing, me and my husband were talking about that yesterday. And there's all these options you can you can go and like try and get a publishing deal and they would cover all your costs for travel and all these different options. But I think you kind of give something across. I think you give something away. So the the option of, say, making the work and then coming back and doing a Kickstarter campaign appeals to me a lot more, mm. you know, that way yeah. around. Yeah. yeah. So you can retain – it's interesting, isn't it? So you can retain your kind of control and your personality as well. That comes through your own artwork, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, it's, and it's in – sorry, Nikki. Oh, sorry, go on. I've talked over you there. No, no, no. I was just going to say, it's, it, no, it, I think um, it was interesting points there around sometimes really, really trying to stay true to yourself, I think, um, in, 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 in with your work and not trying to get overly swayed by either what other people are doing and feeling like, oh, you know, maybe I should try a bit more like this um, because maybe, you know, I'll, I'll make a bit of money more or I might get more followers. I think it's, I think it is important to try and keep your own kind of, um, be true to yourself of what work you, you, you want to make. And so I can totally understand how a Kickstarter campaign and having complete control of your kind of, if it's a book, you know, how it looks and, and the content and everything is, it, it's important, is a, I can relate to that yeah I, I think that's hard isn't it that yeah I mean that thing inside where you just it's like an unshakable bit of you where you think no matter what anyone says about this I've got to really love doing this otherwise mm. what's the point mm. and it's quite hard especially with Instagram you know because Instagram as well it, it kind of it kind of encourages this idea especially with photography and artists that everything you post is like a finished thing so everything is this perfect finished article and that's that's not really how making art and things goes, is it really? There's just a lot of mediocre stuff that goes on in the middle and um, mm. there's quite a lot of pressure. So you can, if you're not careful, you can fall into a bit of a like comparison hole. Kind yeah, of. yeah. Sometimes I look at other people's and I think, wow, they're absolutely amazing. Technically, this print is absolutely perfect. There's no blemishes on it. They know exactly what they're doing. And I think you just have to, you know, take what you kind of need from it if there's any information that's going to help you but I think you've got to stay in your own lane yeah really yeah I think no, so no matter what what do they say compare and despair don't they that's the saying isn't it I'm sure <laughs> it sounds like it's definitely <laughs> that is true it's not it's despair and despair. is not far away once yeah. you start going down there so, uh, it? it's like trying to hold hold on to your and, and not to get overly swayed isn't it because I think 
this whole thing with Instagram, it can be a, a, a nice platform and it and, and it can be, have its advantages and you can connect with people. But sometimes I wonder if it actually kills creativity because of that need to feel like you constantly have to be feeding it. Um, yeah, so. Uh, how is it, I mean, to both of you actually sharing work like this, because I know Claire from talking to you and, and also from dealing with other people out there that when you're creating work which is not what people are used to seeing we you know I talked earlier about the fact that there's a reason a lot of us shoot fairly similar pictures a lot of the time we know what street photography looks like we know what landscape photography looks like I mean in, in its most basic sense we know what these things look like so when you get people like both of you um, who are producing things that are not what we're used to seeing and um there can be a knee-jerk reaction from some people to go, well, I don't like it because it's not what I'm used to seeing. And especially, again, with, with both of your work, because there are strong similarities, both of your work, um, the imperfections of the media and the way it's been constructed, it's all part of it, but at the same time, they're both very carefully thought out pieces of work that a lot of effort goes into so they're, they're sort of working they look like they're kind of oh this is just something that but they can't be to, to create the results you get they can't be um how do you both find dealing with that when when you because i mean i'm sure like people within our community who are more broadly appreciative we're gonna go oh this is lovely and we'll be interested to hear what you've done but i would imagine there's quite a lot of people who kind of look at me and go well in your case, Claire, well, why is why is this blurry? Why are you doing this? Why is this like this? And and with your stuff, Nikki's like, well, why are there watermarks? Why why is this weird looking? Why? I mean, this is a real thing that that's gone on definitely for me, mm. and not even with this stuff, which I can appreciate is quite experimental and is not up everyone's street. But even just the film thing now comes up against a bit of something, doesn't it? It's like, well. If you're going to scan your negatives and you're going to sort of do Photoshop stuff, it why aren't you just doing digital? You know, yeah. there's, there's this whole thing that goes on anyway, which I've definitely come up against. And also, once you start using quite limited equipment, mm. you also come up against this whole thing about gear. There's a whole yeah. thing about gear in photography, isn't there? You know, what lens mm. you've got and what lens you're using and what's the right lens for this picture or this picture and that, that kind of thing. So, um I do find that quite hard sometimes. I mean, the amount of times I've sat in photography socials or things that people have organised and I've just sat there with li literally people just just going on at me about why why am I doing film? No, but why are you doing film though? Like, what what's the point? And I'll, I'll probably say once, you know, the things that I get out of it or why I use it, but I don't, I don't think there's a connection to it. There seems to be quite a small mm. connection to film with a lot of people, you know, and you can kind of understand it, can't you, with digital? Because it's it's all there for you in in a bit more of an accessible mm. way. It's ironic, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. as you said, like if you say to, if somebody asks you why you're shooting film, I personally, there's a, there's a, a, quite a number of reasons that I could give for why, and the the scale of those reasons varies from day to day as to which one's taking dominance. But if somebody says, okay, why are you shooting digital? The answer of versus film is, well, it's easier. Okay. <laughs> 
that seems like an odd reason to sing like oh i'm i'm this mm. is my artist thing because it's easier okay cool um <laughs> i think i like my reasons better <laughs> i think i like all the reasons i'm doing the thing that i'm doing better i mean so that's not to knock digital but but if, if easier is the reason that's fine mm. but maybe don't knock people who are doing it because they love the connection they have with the tools and the media and all these other things which you can't have that with digital i don't believe anybody is connected really in that same way but maybe i'm wrong well i've i've been if you go through an airport with like a twin lens reflex camera which is like an old it's probably one of the yeah. most simple old cameras that you can that you can get if you go through an airport security with that like you always get stopped because people are absolutely fascinated mm. by it and they look at it like it's an artifact from like yeah. some ancient time that no one can remember anymore and it's just not that long ago is it really mm. um so that's always really interesting when when that happens you know with these mm. these old cameras that we're not that far away from it and yet it just seems so obsolete now especially dark mm. rooms when, when you tell people about you're in the dark room i mean some people <laughs> just think i'm literally just mad they actually ask wow. me why i'm doing it it's mad they're like what you go into a room and you do all the like with the trays mm. and stuff i'm mm. like yeah but it's just not it's not that it's not that mm. mad is it mm. it's actually quite a simple process in a lot of ways i think as well though when it comes to sort of like um commenting on, on on people's work you know you know about you know it's oh it's not basically saying you know it's it's not perfect or it's this it's that um i just don't think anybody has a mandate and you know there's not one person that has you know a mandate on creativity <laughs> um and so it's it, i always think of it it's the same as when um tracy emin you know did her unmade bed i remember seeing that in the flesh and so many people going, well, that's not art, you know. Well, who's to say what art is and what it isn't? Just, I mean, no one has that exclusive exclusive mandate. So I, I just see it. I think it's, it can be hurtful, can't it? I've been upset by uh, at times and it can, it can be hurtful, but I think that I suppose you have to kind of see it for what it is and uh, keep going. That's why I, I think it's so important to just as far as possible, stick with your own kind of vision, no matter what anyone else around you is doing, no matter what anyone's telling you. And it's so important, I think, not to give up and to keep going and to keep going. That's what I think. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely it, just, just to keep carrying on, mm. you know, no, no matter what happens. Because, like, I've I've gone down, like, a bit of a detour a couple of times where, you know, I felt the pressure to do something differently and... Once you start going down that road, it just goes wrong because you're just not connected with it the same because you're trying to do something essentially to please something else or an idea yeah. or something, which doesn't even exist anyway. It's just one person's opinion in the end, I, isn't it? I think so. And I think if you start on that path before you know it, you possibly end up so far down that path that you lose who you are and what you were about initially um, and what kind of um, got you inspired to go into the snake pass with your, with your camera and, you know, open the back and, and, and experiment and I think through experimentation as well which you sound like you're a big experiment experimenter um you know it takes you it can take you to obviously some unexpected places can't it and and with with your techniques that you will then keep or or build on um so I, I, I think it's all really really exciting <laughs> it is exciting I think if um 
there's a bit of an obsession sometimes in photography with quality the idea of quality mm, mm. sometimes and like it's not that you know the Ansel Adams sort of photograph you know they're absolutely amazing and they're breathtaking mm. in their own right because they yeah. are really pristine and perfect and I just don't I don't have any negative opinions about that really but I just think you know, if you're going to close yourself off to stuff, you're kind of putting yourself in a bit of a box. And yeah, definitely. Knows, you know, what, what you might find. And I guess with the pandemic, part of this um, project, you know, it's a lot about discovery. Mm. You know, a lot of people have been in their houses and not really known what to do. There's nowhere to go and there's a lot of limitations. So there's kind of a space there for, for discovery, really, isn't there, if you, if you open yourself up? Oh, totally. I mean... I'm just thinking this week because um, my comfort zone is outside and in, in bright sun and da di da but COVID has come and we can't travel and all the restrictions and and now this week I'm having to transform my lounge into a certain set <laughs> so I've like um, bought a few things I've got my lights ready and I've got different bits and pieces that I, I've bought so and I'm literally going to have to like move loads of furniture out of the way and sort of create a set but I would never have done that in my lounge had had the pandemic not happened so it does kind of force you um again doesn't it to 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 move out of out of even out of your comfort zone and out <laughs> out of the box and, mm. and do things differently and like you say Nikki discovery um for better or worse <laughs> I think that's been a good thing yeah. though hasn't it I mean we even if you're doing things that you really enjoy, maybe particularly if you're doing mm. something that you really enjoy, you'll just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And mm. having something which forces you to go, well, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Well, what can I do? Um, opens up avenues that you would probably never have thought of. And, and getting back to that point you both talking about, about doing what you enjoy doing and not being put off it. I think it's, um, if you are, shooting something called whatever your creative output is if you're doing something that is bringing you pleasure and you want to do that even if you do feel like well this is all I'm doing I'm just shooting this one thing or in this one style I'm doing this stuff and people don't seem to be gelling but if you're doing it and you're and it is meaningful to you and you love doing it I think it's important to recognize actually that's quite a rare gift because I think there's an awful lot of people and I would include myself in this there's an awful lot of people out there whether we're taking photographs or making music or drawing pictures or whatever you might be doing um, who are actually quite directionless who don't have a feeling that they want to do one particular thing or, or do stuff in a certain way they don't have that um, and so if you have that no matter what it is like treasure it because it's valuable because it 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 is your personality and your work coming through um and don't ever be don't ever let that be eroded by other people going well have you thought about maybe like this and maybe like this don't try and conform do what you're doing um with darkroom stuff i i was so we were talking to matt and michelle from ilford earlier in the week and after the podcast we were just chatting about our own messing around in darkrooms and stuff and I, I sort of floated this idea and i'd be interested to hear if you guys would say the same um that if I'm messing around with negatives that I've scanned in in Lightroom, which is what I use, I go into Lightroom and I'm, you know, I'll do stuff with my negatives. Now, they're my negatives, so I will do what I want with them. That said, I'll generally do it with a fairly light touch if I'm digitally manipulating them. You know, if I'm pushing the contrast or doing, I'll, I'll be fairly light and try and leave the negatives as much like they were as possible because it feels like there's quite a stigma around that. However, once you're in the dark room, it's 
everything's fair game. If you want <laughs> to push and shove and do whatever you want, you don't feel like, because the, because the darkroom feels like, well, no, this is just part of the next creative step and I'm going to bomb the living daylights out of whatever I want to with this. Do you guys find that as well? Yeah, all bets are off in the darkroom, really, mm. aren't they? And you are in the dark, so you, even you don't know what's <laughs> you know, until it, until it comes out. So it, it is like that. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because all bets are off, but at the same time, you're kind of, you're kind of making a photograph on, you're kind of making a picture on a blank white piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So you, in your head, you have the image in your head and you have an idea of what the light's doing. You know, I think that's, that's where it gets quite meticulous, I think. So you can do whatever you want, but there is like a really um, sort of, I guess a really introverted process going on really which is which is quite specific yeah but you i mean because you've said before that with your color stuff and your work like that you're getting that developed and scanned and when you're treating that stuff are you fairly light touch with it i am because um it's a newish area for me so i'm learning with photoshop and i, and I do when i'm in photoshop i think what's the appropriate amount that I can do to this? Like you said, there's a stigma about it, but then I just, I just get rid of that because if, if you start working like that, you're, you're in a box that someone else has made for you really. Yeah. Aren't you? And, and you know, it doesn't matter if, if you're using Photoshop, color printing in the dark room is really, really hard. Mm. <clears throat> I don't know if, you know, the, the manipulation of images is just not the same as black and white. So I'm not sure there's the same creative potential there. So for me, if I'm doing color photography, um, I will sort of run the negatives through Photoshop. And I, and I stick with film with that mainly because I just, I think I just take better photographs when I'm shooting blind. If if I'm on digital, I did have a digital camera. I went to India like years ago and some of the photographs I took were quite good, but because you can see them straight on the back, you know, you're looking at them all the time and um, you're reshooting. So you've got like 10 of the same image and often as well, what I was finding is because it's such a small viewfinder, you're looking at the image on the back and um, you can you can think you've got the image. You think, oh, yeah, you know, that's the one. And so you just stop shooting and you might not have it because when it's actually on the screen, it might not be the one or it mm. might not be as in focus as you want, that kind of thing. Um so I've kind of gone off on a tangent there again. I've not really answered your question, have no, I? No, no, no. I think you yeah, have. We yeah. um, if if what well, if bets all bets are off in off in the dark room. Or, I think or quite I, light, quite yeah. light touched and Photoshop. I think was. Really I, I, yeah, yeah, I think if I when I was in the dark room, um, I wouldn't destroy my negatives. I know some people will do things to the actual negative, won't I? But put things on them or over them. But I was always like. Um, burning and dodging and I used to like make myself own little tools and, and sort of like uh, burn in a rainbow and little, little little orbs and stuff mm. and it's like you say you get feeling and then if a print was some prints I would choose to bleach and then I, I went through you know I like hand colouring Nikki as well so that oh, was quite you? yeah yeah I, I didn't recommend think it. about that as well so I like hand colouring um and so I find that sometimes bleaching, it's like you say, you look at your print, you just get that feeling and then the hand colouring. And sometimes if, if a print was really too too dark, too contrasty, I feel like, can I lift it with bleach? Um, so no, I, I think all, all bets are off. My problem was, because I don't, didn't have my own dark room, was um, I'd work myself up and then I'd feel like 
oh, I have to, I have to, it's going to, it's going to close. And, and I felt like I had a few hours left in me still to go, you know? Um, but yeah, no, hand colouring, Nikki, honestly, it, um, don't rule it out or, or yeah. have a little experimentation. Experiment I thought with it. about um, inks. Yeah, inks. I won't do it to these ones because, I mean, mm. it's just going to look a bit OTT if I start going <laughs> inks on these as well. But um, there's a photographer I really like called Esther Teichman. Mm -hmm. She does big prints and she does the really surreal with all the different coloured um, yeah. sort of floating around on it. You know, it kind of comes out looking a bit like a dream. Yeah. And yeah. Like a technical dream. Yeah. Um, the I think I've mentioned her before on this podcast that the, the photographer I like is Ellen Rogers. Um, I don't know if you know her work. Um, she's, she does. It's got quite a gothic feel about it, but she does, you know, black and white, and she does a lot of hand colouring, beautiful um, hand colouring. And then Shade Attar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, I think she's Ellen is a is a UK photographer, and Shay is an American photographer. But both of them do completely different styles, um, but both of them hand, hand, you know, one literally paints their work and I think Ellen maybe just inks, but yeah, I like it, I like it. That was kind of my inspiration after seeing Ellen's work, um, but yeah. When things move forward, when we can actually return to life as we knew it before, or at least life in a way that's more familiar to us, do you think your experiences of the last 12 months, this this direction that you've gone in, both with your photography and with the printing, is this going to reflect itself? Are you going to carry part of that into your work going forwards? Or has this been um, a temporary diversion, do you think? I hope it's not a temporary diversion. I thought about that. I thought I've had all this space and I haven't just filled it with this, but actually I've, I've kind of always been into it. I think it just takes quite a lot mm. of commitment, quite a lot of time. And it's, you know, mixing the chemicals in itself is, mm. is like a task before you can even start. And you've got to put your Velcro thing up against the window. You know, there's a lot of stuff you have to go through every time you want to print something. <laughs> and it's like you say, Clay, you can't just mix the chemicals and think, oh, I'll just do 10 minutes and then that's it because you can't those chemicals are yeah off, aren't they like yeah like good for days. days well i say days <laughs> <laughs> i'm maybe no, not the need... best person to take advice from on that front <laughs> you need a good chunk of time don't you to really immerse yourself and, and get going in, in there yeah and and also there is that feeling that this kind of photography that i've been doing is it's not really that accepted really and um i do kind of want to get some of my, my work out there and I think the way to do that really for photographers is like documentary stuff or more sort of accessible formats like that and I am excited about this documentary project I'll probably I'll probably flip back in and out of it you know as it comes and goes I have a dark room in my house so it's not mm. it's not like it's not like a really temporary thing I have invested quite a lot of money into yeah. that yeah. dark room um so it is here to stay um, you, you're studying art psychotherapy at the moment. If you had to step back and if somebody said to you, look, this is the work I've been working on and they presented you with your work at the moment, do you feel it's saying something about your current state of mind, your pictures that you're creating? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100% they're, say, they're saying something about my state of mind. There's um, Because we did lose my father-in-law mm. last year. You know, there's, defi there's definitely like a loss in there. They're quite gothic pictures. There's a real stillness about them. There's a real quietness about them. They're um they're kind of a bit mad. So 
Um, even I don't really know what they're about, but there's definitely a lot of myself in them, I would say. Mm. Yeah, like, definitely. Almost like um, sort of poetry as picture kind of thing. It, it's you you're capturing something and and it, maybe this is part of the reason why you feel like it won't necessarily carry forwards generally in your work because it is so of the moment that this is you're doing it yeah i think i think so i think without it i don't know what would become of me if i hadn't have had this to do you know mm. I'm, I'm married as well so i've been living in this house with my husband for a year now and i lost my job so that's quite hard for a, for a relationship to stand, you know, we're yeah. literally just there all yeah. the time with each other. So it's been nice to have somewhere to go and get really obsessive by myself in a different room. You know, mm. it's, it's been, um, it's been quite, quite a little solace away from stuff for me, but yeah, you are right. Like there is, there is definitely a lot of myself in there. You know, I might look mm. back on them in years and think, crikey, you know, look what was going on on that year. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Definitely, it'll connect you to a, a place and a, and a time, won't it? Yeah, yeah, because like I said, when I tried to recreate it, because this is the problem as well, once you try and recreate something, you can't really do it. You know, once you've been in a moment mm. or something, you, you mm. can't really make it again. The negatives just weren't, they weren't the same. I tried too hard, I tried to control the whole thing, it just didn't work out. So I've got like two rolls of negatives that I did recently. I went out back out to the peaks, you know, in all the snow, thought it'd be yeah. really amazing, different photographs there's not really a lot in there to work with that's not even a two percent success rate that's just like a like a zero percent <sighs> success rate <laughs> the thing is i went i went out earlier this week um on sunday uh I was like, oh it's snowing everywhere and he goes oh snowing go out and take some pictures and you go outside and go everyone's think you've been draped with white how does that help how is that helping with my photographic blankness by making everything blank um, mm. instead of it being flat and boring it's now flat white and boring around here admittedly the peaks are less flat you do have more up and down in the peaks but um it's hard it's i think it's like that whole it's like lamography uh and well in in some ways or at least like the, the elements of it where um the reason that people are drawn to cameras like the Holger and the Diana and um, and these other more unreliable cameras is because there is the possibility that they will do something magic, that, that some magic will happen. Um, and if you try and force it, then it feels forced. If you, if you try and use um, a film or try and deliberately, then it's going to look like it... I, I think it's very hard to capture. I think that's why, personally, a lot of photography, which is going for that, and I, I, and when I say lamography, I mean in terms of the genre as opposed to the manufacturer. But I think there's a reason why a lot of it feels just kind of uninteresting because it is just like, well, there's light leaks, there's a bit of blur, therefore this is that. It's like, no, sometimes these things can come together and create this magic, but a lot of the time it doesn't and like you were saying Nikki like two shots on a roll of film maybe you get that from it if you're lucky maybe you get that from it but maybe you get nothing maybe you just get a load of fuzzy nonsense that hasn't quite worked it's it's you you can't you can't force techniques like that I don't think can you no you, you can't I think you have to still have this is going to sound a bit off the ground but when I'm taking a photograph I, I do get a bit of a feeling about it you know mm. I'm and sometimes I'll stand there and I'll think something and I won't have the feeling. And I think, 
no, that's not going to be it. Or I'll override it, take the photograph anyway. And I was right, you know, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't going to be that special. So yeah. I think, especially with film, you're shooting blind anyway, aren't you? Mm. So I think, um, I think you are in any film photography, you're kind of leaving it up to chance, aren't you? I think that's the whole buzz about it. I think that's why people do it. Otherwise, you would just do digital, wouldn't you? I think. Yeah, yeah. I, as you said, though, I think gear is an important part of it as well. I think, I, I mean, I know yeah. I just love using the old stuff as well. It's part of it is just that I, I'd rather use the old tools to do the job. They're, they're more fun. Um, I know that when I was doing a, a series of pictures using a significantly uh, modified well not significantly modified a modified lens which had fairly spectacular um em impact on the end results and so because of that i had an idea of how it was going to represent things but sometimes it just really surprised me and there's one picture in particular that i took um it's a picture of uh, a, a woodland a, a bluebell woodland and and it's shot on color film and i sent it away and got it developed and got the film and back and scanned it and i looked at this picture and went Pfft. i mean i love the picture i absolutely love it but i look at it and go I don't believe that's a photograph and I took that photograph because it just doesn't look like a photograph at all. It looks like watercolour um, mm. and I don't think I could ever replicate it. But mm. it is that just thing, well, the light on that day with this piece of glass and that piece of medium did this. There you go. Mm. That was your one. That's, <laughs> that's your one. Um, mm. It's, uh, yeah, the joy of film. Um, yes, it, there's always a little bit. Uh, well, not always. Some people are far more... Um, controlled in the way they're doing stuff but there's a lot of serendipity certainly in the way that i do it and with the stuff that you've been talking about um with the art psychotherapy how much of its benefit to people is from um expressing and venting how they feel about things how much of it comes from getting an understanding from how they feel about things by looking at the work I've had talking therapy myself and I've done art therapy myself. So I've, I've had personal experiences of how the art kind of functions differently with these kind of things. Something happens when you make art in that kind of environment where you kind of, you kind of become part of the artwork. So the feelings, they just sort of come up and you become sort of fused with it. And I think that's kind of essentially what, what these photographs that I've made are about but you don't really ever really know what it's about. So you can't, you can't say, oh, it's this, this and this. You just sort of gain like a, it's really hard to describe, but it's like an understanding that's not something that you can articulate, you know, and it helps you to process something in a different way. Mm. It's less, you're less in your head. I think that's, that's the thing. It gets you out of your head a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, so it helps with that. It helps a lot with, um, you know, people who've had, quite a big trauma or something really mm. overwhelming that's happened to them where actually talking therapy might actually make it worse because it's too traumatic there's something about putting mm. it out into this kind of separate space because the artwork is like a third place so you can kind of put it out into it and it, it's sort of easier to hold things if if that makes any sense mm. i'm only like one term into it so that's probably why i'm a bit incoherent about it um, no, I think it makes a lot yeah. of sense, and actually, it, it kind of it ties in perfectly to the person we're talking about. And talking to next week, um, 
uh, Simon Riddell because the work that he's been doing over the last 12 months is he's been exploring mental health and his own personal issues with post-traumatic stress through the mm. medium of wet plate photography so it's tying a lot of oh, these things wow. together I'll it, be tuning into that one yeah <laughs> his actually his work the, the work he's been creating is it's worth seeing. It's really good. I'm really looking yeah. forward to catching up with Sai. Um, so, um, no, I just think it's. I think it's really interesting. And um, have you got any suggestions for people who enjoy photography, enjoy getting out, taking pictures and stuff? Um, who about maybe ways of uh, freeing themselves up more to take pictures, which can perhaps I don't know, uh, either express the way they're feeling or, 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 I don't know, get out the way of themselves a bit. Do you think there are any tips that that can help with that? Are there any men? I don't know. I, that's probably a very <laughs> difficult question to ask. <laughs> no, I, th- I think there's something in that. I think there is. I think, um, I think to limit the equipment you're using because the more, the more the camera is going to do for you or the more things you're putting into it, it's becoming about the camera, so it's, it's much less about you. Whereas if you kind of strip it all back, I, I know someone who just uses one camera with one lens and never does anything else with it and just completely pushes that to the limits. And what happens is it makes you it makes you work in a different way because you have to bring an awful lot of yourself to something like that because it's so limited. And I think that's where you find something a bit different sometimes, you know. Um, and I think the other thing with it, is to not get upset if it is a 2% success rate, because I mm. think that's okay. I, I think if you get one really special shot, which means an awful lot, and you can tell it means an awful lot, I think that's all That's all you're after really, isn't it? Rather mm. than sort of 10 perfectly exposed, mediocre shots that you're probably, you know, don't really have that many feelings about. Yeah, I think that's great advice. That's great advice. Do you, you got anything to add to that, Claire? No, I, I think um, I think that's right. I mean, who was it that said? Was it Samuel Beckett? He said, "Fail, fail, 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 and fail again, and fail better." And I think, for me, um, it, it depends how you look at. It. Is there such a thing as failure, or does it just mean what I've done and the way I've done it hasn't got me the results I want? So there's that whole learning process, isn't it? So it's about. I suppose for me, it, it comes back to that whole thing of like keeping going and not giving up keeping going and not giving up keeping going not giving giving up and um yeah i think that's so important um stick-to-itiveness that's the word yeah no because i think we can't we can all have that you know we can all have that inner voice that says oh god you know um i'm no good i'm a load of rubbish you know all that negative self-talk we can all go through and and like you say if you if you go out shooting get your role and you think oh god it's all been a disaster we can feel deflated, can't we? And it could be tempting to think, you know, what am I even bothering? I should just give it up. But I think maybe if we pause and just think, okay, what did I do? Um, it's not quite worked. And um, and, and try again. And, and I'm a great believer. Um, I know some people will disagree with me. I feel like you can learn so much from looking at other people's works, like like um, like you, Nikki. You said you really love Sally Mann's work. I, I think her work's beautiful as well. So it's like looking at someone like Sally Mann's work, or or you know, like I say, Alan Rogers's work, and you think to yourself, 
what what is it about their work that I like? You know, what is it? Is it the is it the composition or is it the is it the the, the mood that's in this picture? And then trying to think, well, what could how do I kind of create this these elements of this image that I'm, I'm kind of attracted to and reading round? Um, but I'm I just think so much is about practice and doing and carrying on, isn't it? I mean, I'm I'm dyslexic, so I'm very much in the school of I learn by doing um so that's that just suits me might not suit other people with bits of reading in, in between but yeah so I'm I'm digressing and going on but I think not giving up and and, and keeping going is so important mm. well, I think, yeah, that, that... Um, I'm trying to switch off isn't it it's everyone's going to have a view and opinion and yeah it's that thing we've already touched on really trying not to try not to get off try and stay on your own path isn't it and stick true to yourself and if you pick up a few unhelpful comments or hurtful comments on the way you know see them for what they are and you know it's okay to say well that's really upset me but keep going anyway I think (laughs) I mean, when you said about other people's work you know that's Mm. definitely that's definitely a thing and I don't think there's any shame in that either I Mm. think I think part of the thing that holds you back a lot of the time is that there's just an awful lot of judgment you know externally and in yourself and you just need to just there's just no point is there no. Even actually, you know, Sally Mann said that she's a shameless stealer of other people's mm. ideas, you know, because there is no such thing as a new idea, is there? Everyone's just using things and putting their own spin on it, you know, yeah. can still be authentic without being. Yeah, original. definitely. We're all little magpies, really, aren't we? You know, mm. and, and we can get you can get inspired by anything, paintings, anything, can't you? Music can, can, can inspire you. But yeah, I suppose it's like, yeah, freeing. Uh, we've gone off. Uh, are we answering your question, Graham? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm not, but you're, you're, I think it's all good. I'm not sure you're answering that question, but you're answering some very good questions. And I think, like the, the fundamental point that's behind everything that you were both saying, uh, that it forms an important part of the work that you're doing and also progressing is um, giving time for self-reflection and mm. thinking about both why you're doing what you're doing and why you did what you did and looking at that and kind of absorbing it into yourself to take it forwards um and yeah i think that's important and, and like i said understanding why you're enjoying the work that you're looking at why what it's meaningful because it's it, it's so easy to just kind of spin over the top of the world and be doing all this stuff and taking pictures mm-hmm. and looking at stuff and doing stuff and not stopping and thinking about it and i think mm-hmm. uh, when you do and when you stop and try and understand why you're doing half of the stuff you're doing then you'll get a lot further, a lot faster, um, in whatever direction you want to go. <laughs> and that's really all that matters. So. Do you ever do that thing, Nikki? Um, I think sometimes as well we can be really harsh on ourselves and there's pros and cons to that. Um, and I don't know about you, but once your work's emerged and you see it, do you have that thing that's a definite, that's, that's, that's a maybe, and that's maybe a complete no-no? Do you ever sort of come back to any of your work, say four months later or six months later and work that you thought to yourself actually that's a definite no you know that hasn't worked and then re-look at it and think well actually I quite like it now <laughs> do you ever do that yeah and I, th- I think that changes all the time you know every time you could every time I go back I think oh why have I got rid of that that's actually really good you've done really well there Nikki like why haven't you used this one or something I thought was absolutely amazing at the time or come across as a bit mediocre in the end mm. or the thing that I struggle with 
I, there was this amazing negative that I made of um, there was this pond and it was all frozen over in the, in the peaks and it was really snowy and it was really foggy. Mm. And I'd like, I'd like splash the negatives with developer. This is when I just went off course and really <laughs> far. But like there was this amazing negative where um, you could see all the bottom of the picture, but in the sky, I'd kind of like splattered it. So all the sky looked really dramatic and it had this really watercolory effect. And I was in there printing it and I just so badly wanted it to work. And I just don't think it's going to work. But, you know, I've just I just can't let it go yet. But mm. I feel like I need to because it's just not there. So I'm going to have to leave it and maybe come back and see how it fits later mm. on. Um, but that's the joy of the printing process. You never really know what you've got until you start printing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, this is lovely, but unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up now because we've been waffling on for over an hour now. Uh, it's great. I'm absolutely loving chatting you guys. Um, the I, I think we're all in the kind of the same space about how much <laughs> getting in the darkroom helps. And I know maybe it's just because we we're talking to Ilford earlier in this week. It feels like we've been talking about this a lot lately. Um, but I think it's if you are listening to this and you haven't yet, um, don't feel disheartened by that because I think if anything it's getting slowly easier to make getting into the, getting a darkroom space set up at home happen. More and more community darkrooms are starting to find their way back into existence. Um, there's there's more of a pathway opening now. Matt mentioned that this sounds like there's going to be something else coming from Intrepid in the way of compact, easy to store away in larger coming out hopefully fairly soon. Um, it's a really exciting time and um, I think it's just it's an avenue that everybody should at least explore. Maybe it's not for everyone, but it's it is such an enjoyable part of the process. It isn't it isn't just that. Well, here's the end result. It's like no, this is this is an entire other world. And I don't know anybody. I don't think who has got into it, who has managed to get themselves out of it again. <laughs> Once you get into the cocooning embrace of the dark room, um, you're never leaving again. <laughs> It's dangerous times. Um, Nikki, where can people go to see your work? So you can go to my website, which is nikkicully.com. It's C-U-L-L-E-Y. And I've got two Instagrams. I've just set up a new one just for my darkroom stuff. So I've got Nikki Cully Photo and Nikki Cully Darkroom. Lovely stuff. And on your uh, website, you can see some of the work you'd already done with the surfers, as well as the work we've been talking about this evening. So it's well worth a look. It's a lovely website. The pictures look amazing mm -hmm. on there. I love the oh, colours of the you. surf work. It oh, really man. means a lot because, you know, I'm just on my own in a dark room, not sure about if anything's any good or not. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> a, a metaphor for us all. I think we're all in a dark room wondering if anything we do is any good. Uh, well, we will get out of here now. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up at sunny16podcast at gmail.com uh, or you can get in touch with us on on Instagram and Twitter. We're sunny16podcast everywhere. Um, we are going to be going out later this week on the Sunny 16 Presents feed. We've got uh, I Dream of Cameras episodes. I think it's four they're on now, isn't it, Claire? Yeah. <laughs> they're working like a machine. Uh, and then at the end of this week or possibly early next week, we've got your next show as well, haven't we, Claire? Yep. So do you want to tell um, us who's on this one and what the film was? Um, yeah, so it's um, the next episode of On Film and I spoke to the photographer and printer Mike Crawford um, about The Third Man. 
the third man splendid stuff yeah, i'm really looking forward to hearing that. <laughs> again another somebody who's very much in the dark professional darkroom printer yeah. Mike. Yeah. so much darkroom stuff lately lovely well we will play you out as always with rachel's fabulous band roja and we will be back with you again very soon until then listeners thank you so much for joining us and goodbye bye yeah see you later